Our guest this week is Brandon McKenna. Brandon is an expert in mobile technologies, particularly SIM and eSIM technology. He consults with companies, is a member of GSMA standards bodies, and is also an expert witness in court cases. Brandon has extensive experience working with mobile operators and software suppliers. He talks about his early career in mobile, and he provides an excellent summary of where the eSIM market is today the customer eSIM experience, and how the market is likely to develop. He also talks about eSIM and the IoT market. I think you'll find this really interesting. This podcast is sponsored by Netzer Digital Onboarding. During these times of COVID and falling sales, digital onboarding is the answer to new customer acquisition. If you are a telco, an MVNO, or an eSIM provider, we have the ideal cloud-delivered solution for you. You can onboard your new customers or business account customers remotely at a fraction of your normal onboarding costs. The Netzer Digital Onboarding Solution will ensure your customer onboarding experience is easy and painless, will integrate with your BSS, OSS systems and with Salesforce, and we meet all regulatory requirements. Contact pat.flynn at netzer.com so we can understand your issues and provide you with the best solution. On the podcast this week, we're delighted to have Brandon McKenna. Brandon McKenna is a renowned international expert in SIM technology, mobile technology in general. But in the last few years, he's got particularly interested in eSIMs. Brandon's also an expert witness in court cases for location data and other aspects of mobile technology, which come into evidence. So, Brandon, uh, great to see you. How are you doing? Thanks, Pat. Thanks very much for having me. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to share with you. Not at all. I mean, it's, I think you have an interesting story. You definitely know this new development in mobile technology very well. So let me just start off. Generally, I ask people what their background is. You're, you're a long-time mobile phone guy. That's yeah, indeed. I've been, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've been in mobile communications actually since... 19 i'm trying to think back about 1982 or thereabouts when i joined the um signals workshop in the Curra in the army because i was part of the army at the time it was nine so i spent nine and a half years in the army and last few years of that we're in the signals aspect of um, the naval service and the air corps and the army so i was involved in signals and radios for that for that point and then i went to telecom Aaron for a few years and then i went i took us um 20 months leave to go on a um, special on the mission field actually for about 20 months and then I went came back and went into the payphone area of the of Telecom Air which is the closest place that they had because they had a card payphone and it was the closest thing they had to a SIM card and they put me on this this thing called a SIM card because no one in Telecom knew anything about what a SIM card <laughs> was <laughs> and the clue it was a, and it was a piece of plastic and it was the closest thing they had to it was this card phone with a piece of plastic in it so that, they thought well okay the two things will be the same so I was in the payphone group and they gave me a one-page spec when I came in. I never forget it. Come back from this leave, and I was I arrived in the door, and there was this one-page specification of, "Oh, we're just getting the eSIMs. It's going to be launched next July." <laughs> and, <laughs> we're just about, and we and you know Tom Lynham, who was in it before me, he, he handed me over this page. He said, "This is the spec that we went to. This is the spec <laughs> that we did." And he handed me over this page, and it said basically it said, "Follow the uh, GSM eleven eleven standard." 
and you were trying to you were trying to it, like, you know, so that was the only technical kind of criteria i had over what we were going to get you know yeah. so um, basically when the uh, guys came in the, the vendors came in with their um, different offerings the only pushback i had on them was are you keeping to the spec you know mm. of course i hadn't even a clue what the spec was so <laughs> and even did anyone else in telecomera so i decided i better go and find out a bit more so the only way i could find out was to attend the actual gsm oh, as it was at the time smg which is a special mobile group which mm -hmm. was a, a etsy um, european telecommunication standards institute now was it even i think it was yeah that's the <laughs> smg group and I went to the CIMEG, which is a SIM expert group, and the mm -hmm. whole pile of people from, you know, Cell, Cellnet at the time, and uh, um, Vodafone, and um, all, a bunch so, of people were, were there. So you're, you're, in, you're in the start, Brandon, from the... In at the very start. Oh, very okay. start. So, I, yeah, I have my name on a few of the very early specifications <laughs> in 1990. And, and you, you, I know, uh, managed the, the SIM part of the business for, for Vodafone Ireland for many years as well. Yeah, for, well, for air sellers, it was at the time, and from that was from from 1992 and 19, yeah, 1992 until 1999. I was the only guy, and I always used to say to my boss, I said, "If I got run over by a bus, you'd have about two or three days before the system would keel over." <laughs> <laughs> but then that was I wasn't unique then. I mean, in those days, there were so few of us. As, yeah. as you remember, Pat, I mean, as engineers, we, we were in charge of everything. We had complete authority and control over it because no one knew exactly what we would have. I don't know if we knew exactly what we were doing ourselves <laughs> either, but, <laughs> but when the, the, the network would take jumps like, you know, from 7,000 to 70,000 in 10 months when Stephen Brewer did the, um, um, mm -hmm. you know, that wonderful marketing trick about the uh, buy, your phone off your phone, uh, buy your phone off your phone bill and made the GSM phones affordable. And so we suddenly went from 7,000 to 70,000 in 10 months. It had taken us 10 years to get to 100,000 phones altogether. And then we went to 200,000 between the analog and the mobile in the space of 10 months. And, you know, when you're on that, you run out of SIM cards three times and, the, and the CEO, your, um, your uh, CEO, Stephen Brewer, calls you in and says, the next time you run out of SIM cards, you're fired. <laughs> you know, I was over in France begging for them and that kind of thing between a million run from Orange yeah. and a million from, you know. Anyway. In fairness to Stephen, he definitely brought marketing to um, Ursel yeah. and, and, and he, he transformed the company from an operational focus to a marketing focus. And so I'm, I'm going to try and get him on the podcast sometime. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he certainly changed everything for me anyway at the time. Mm -hmm. And then a few, three years later, we had a million customers. Like, and uh, yeah. during that period of enormous growth that really, you know, it was so few of us. It's like that few, you know, the thing about so, never has so many dependent on so few. You know? <laughs> and uh, it was very like that. It was a great time. I mean, you as an engineer, you weren't questioned about anything and you had access to everything. And I had complete access control and access and the only one really knew exactly how to do end-to-end -end security for for the mobile phone network with sim card so mm. so yeah so it was a great there were great days days i i carried that over then when i went to the eSIM group much more recently in 2016 and ended up being one of only two people who had actually been in the original sim group and the eSIM group so, huh. that was, so well, uh, well this this is sort of the interest of ours so so maybe just for people who don't uh, know what an eSIM is, maybe just mm -hmm. give them the ABC lesson, Brandon. Sure. Well, a SIM card, basically what it does is it enables the network to authenticate the fact that you have a bona fide account with them, effectively, that's more or less what it does. And so it authenticates these, the mobile phone and combination of mobile phone and the mobile SIM, and SIM card to the network. And what an eSIM does is exactly the same. It doesn't do it any, anything different. But what the difference is that an eSIM is, as the word says, it's kind of e. Sometimes they say it's electronic or embedded. But basically, what it is is it's the 
um, same as the SIM card, except it's enclosed in the, in the actual phone. You can't take the SIM card out as such. And that leaves quite a few advantages in the sense of much smaller, you know, and, and less um, link more like easy to hermetically seal the phone, that kind of stuff. So it gives you a good few advantages. But the problem is, of course, that because you can't take the SIM card out, the handling of the profile or the data that's secure, the secure data that's required for it, instead of it being securely held in a physical platform that can be transported around securely itself, and it's hard enough to hack into or get into, you now have to send the secure information over the air. Mm -hmm. and so, the, so they had to come up with um, very secure ways. And the whole brief of the eSIM committee in the GSMA, who actually ended up doing the specification for this, that they, their brief was that they had to make it as secure as the physical SIM. And so effectively, that's what they, um, they were tackled with doing. And they did it quite well. But it, now what it means is you scan a QR code you can get from the from mm -hmm. an operator. Or there's other ways of doing it as well. Actually, you can be distributed um, via an app as well nowadays. So there's several different ways of doing it. But it makes things much more seamless. Mm -hmm. So at the background now, instead of having to be worried about one physical SIM, take it out and put another one in. Um, you don't, as a, as a consumer, you could probably, that could be invisible to you. You don't even have to worry about it. You mm. simply, you simply move from one place to another and, you know, you choose the best values um, in profile that you can get from, from the internet and mm. you download it onto the, onto the phone. But that's, that's a bit way, yeah, but that's, that's the SDA, yeah. So there's, so yeah, I mean, looking at the market, there's a number of eSIM providers who are focused on the roaming market, which is obviously the, the first place to start. The customer experience is, say you land in New York, you might see a QR code or you might download an app hmm. and provision your phone. So, I mean, how extensive is eSIM support in phones? Well, that's interesting. I mean, there's about 50 operators, and these are all the big ones, obviously, who have been part of the, of the eSIM committee and are working on it. And they obviously do it well, and they've been rolling it out reasonably widely amongst their own amongst themselves. The, one of the big things about the eSIM was that the operators initially were very reluctant and have still, and some of them are still very reluctant because effectively it takes away the, the one piece of, of connection they have with their end users. So an end user for Vodafone, he doesn't really care too much about the mobile phones network. It becomes a, a utility to them, but he will actually go looking for that eSIM, that SIM card. Sorry, go looking for that SIM card. He'll go in the shop. he have a physical piece of SIM given to him, and he'll actually be connected to the customer. He has to go to the Vodafone shop to get it kind of thing or get it posted to him or whatever. Mm -hmm. Whereas with an eSIM, that doesn't happen anymore. And so the operators were very worried that they were going to lose any kind of connection they might have with a customer. Right. So as a result, they've been reluctant to roll it out. And um, that's been the biggest holdup actually to the whole thing. So of about 1,500 operators in the world, we'd say roughly, GSMA has a good 900 or so of those. Um, they're, they're of them, possibly 50, you know, and they also include the Vodafones and Digital, the big, the big ones of this world. But, but basically they are the only ones that have really implemented it. And the others actually, curiously enough, a lot of them don't know much about it. Mm. So there's a huge education to be done process. in the, in the, in the market yeah. process. And the danger for them is that as these things become eventually, now they're not there yet, but they will eventually become the only way for some phones to connect. Yeah. Right? So at the moment, the way it's with the Apple um, um, 11 and um, the 12 and, that, and the uh, newest Samsungs, 
eSIM is an op is an option. It's another. It's another. It basically makes a dual SIM phone out of the phone, so you can have a physical SIM slot. You mm -hmm. put, and they always and just allow the physical SIM slot. Now they haven't moved to the point where they're going to get rid of the physical SIM slot. There has been talk about that. It hasn't happened yet, as far as I know. Okay. So, and, uh, so yeah. just from the user point of view, what they if you download an app, you can. There's, there's three. There's three things that happen have to happen with an eSIM. One is selecting your eSIM. The other is not in every case, but in an increasing number of cases, know your customer, which is mm. a legal identification of the customer, mm. which is what Netzer does. And the third part is payment. So do you want to, you know, what sort of platforms are out there that will support that? Do you, you have some expertise in this area, I know. Yeah, yeah. So I, I worked with uh, another company on the basis on on the idea of, uh, or on the way of integrating to what's called the SMDP Plus, which is the uh, short, um, a secure messaging data platform for for which is part of the standard, and effectively what that does is is a place for storing the eSIM profiles, and it's from there that the profile comes down onto the phone in response to the phone securely requesting it according to the standard. So effectively, that's that's the integration you have to do as as a platform. So if you're a provider of of eSIMs, say. And you you have a website and you've got a, a series of eSIM offerings from a lot of operators that you've talked to. In order for them to be downloaded onto the customer's phone, you you will need to be in some way, even if it's like in some of the earlier or simpler things, it might just be a bunch of QR codes you've been given by the operator that you can distribute. But in other, most cases, the, the way to do it would be to integrate with that SMTP plus of the operator. So there's a pro there's a specific. Um, well, there's a couple of different ways of doing that, but basically your, your main way of doing it would be to to develop an API to them. So right, right. So different, so different. Uh, so I've, you, that's how you would do it. And and there are some companies out there, including as I said, one of the ones I used to work for, that are are actually doing offering that service to operators. So in other words, they're saying to operators and to and to end customers, but they're saying some of them are saying to end customers by giving a website buy your eSIM here type of thing. And you click mm -hmm. on the website and go, and you as you say, you go through the processes, including KYC if necessary, and and you get you you get your eSIM, and they don't it's invisible to the customer as to how that eSIM gets to them really. But would the you, other the other ones go to the operators, and they will. You'd be a good man, Brandon, for anyone who's interested in this to contact. So we'll make sure we yes. contact the details of the podcast. <laughs> okay, yeah. Now that that's really interesting. You can see the dilemma the operators face, but mm -hmm. I, I mean, and maybe I think it's operators one of the biggest strengths they have that they underestimate is the is their the strength of their brand with their customers and that is oftentimes you might pay a little more per month with a particular operator because you instinctively feel maybe for your market segment they're going to look after you better or you know, obviously there's more and more operators competing on the lowest cost basis but coverage is the other big thing really coverage is a big thing yeah and the the incumbents have huge advantages there with the brand and the coverage mm -hmm. and so on but so, so what's your feeling? How, do you think in five years' time there won't be any more physical sims? What's your what's your guess? Uh, yeah, I like I said, I've been I've been involved in the eSIM committee meetings since two thousand and sixteen, and they started in earnest in two thousand and fourteen with the consumer eSIM as the one we know we're talking about now. There is an M two M eSIM that's been a bit earlier than that even, but it was never. So, so, well, so just to be clear, machine to machine. Sorry, yeah, that's the uh, machine. There's uh, IoT, IoT. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. My apologies. Yeah. yeah. So there's an IoT version of the eSIM as well, uh, which has also been quite widely adopted. But because of the fact that it wasn't fully standardised, it, it has meant that there's a lot of interoperability issues. So in other words, you you you're more or less stuck into one 
kind of ecosystem if you buy it from one particular vendor you use them from one vendor you nearly have to get the infrastructure from the same vendor now in practice in in theory you don't suppose you're not supposed to have to but in practice that's what happens for the iot or the ESIM. but the consumer ESIM is different in that the consumer ESIM standards were much more developed they handled much more of the infrastructure and the interfaces and as a result you you're not locked into a particular vendor when you do this so the the so the the, the question is it's, it's definitely better and it's been adopted more and more on the IoT side as well now because of that, right? So mm -hmm. because it's it's a, it's a more interoperable standard, more and more people. There's been a big discussion about uh, putting to uh, you know making sure the two standards will interoperate with each other. So it looks like the consumer ESIM standard will win out over time. But because of all this, and because of the, the operators' reluctance, making a prediction about <laughs> when it's going to be fully in is extremely difficult. Right, and um, you know, I I would as I you know that taught me a couple of years ago, and I would have said, you know, by about now we yeah, yeah. you know, it'd be a lot more. But what I'm curious about is that, I, as far as I know, now I may be wrong, but I don't think there's actually any handset out there at the moment that only works on eSIMs, and they still all support a SIM. And that, to me, kind of defeats the purpose to some degree, you know, because the idea was to make a much smaller set. Now you do get watches, and you do get. Um, IoT devices, of course, which are basically using just an e just an eSIM and not using any physical SIM, and that's obviously a good place. And that's really where the biggest growth is going to be is in the IoT side of things. Mm -hmm. So, effectively, you, you do have you have it when you your question was when will it when will it be for the consumer phones the only option? I, I would say you could be looking at maybe a good six or seven years maybe for that. Oh, really? As long as that, okay, that's potentially. But in the case of the IoT side of things which is a much bigger, potentially numbers at least, um, yeah. market, um, I would suggest that it would probably be fully eSIM only for much quicker there. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? In the sense that it would, that's likely to be it's, the... Um, yeah, greenfield business. Yeah. And, yeah. and, it's, and it's, it's, it's the, the case for having an eSIM is, is more compelling. Stronger, yeah. When you've got a device that's out in the middle of nowhere and it's, it needs to be put down holes, various places or whatever, you know what I mean? You, you're going to want to do that, so... Okay. Well, Brian, that's brilliant. And thanks very much for being on the podcast. You've given us a, a great survey of eSIMs there. And obviously your own expertise is, is clear. So thanks very much. And at this stage in the podcast, I always ask people if they have a song they'd like to play out on. So what, what have you chosen? Well, I've chosen Amazing Grace because, um, well, you know, I, I, I feel myself that there was a time when I was kind of blind, if you like, and now I can see type of stuff in relation to... Um, um, you know, I had a I had a quite an experience with with um, God, I guess, back in 1980, and so the the um, and it was it was life changing for me. So when uh, when I when I think about that song, it kind of talks about the same kind of thing. Um, it, was a, it was written back in the end of the 18th century by a guy called um, who who basically was a slave trader, and um, he uh, he he had an amazing conversion experience as well. So I don't okay. think I, I wasn't a slave trader, but at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's not your area. But, yeah. uh, right, but I did change a bit from that time. That's, but that's, that's a nice yeah, that's personal story, Brandon. Yeah. Thanks for sharing okay. it with us. And, and thanks indeed for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Pat. Appreciate it. Not at all. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that
Through 